Hey everybody, Max Boltman here again alongside Corey Pronman for another Friday prospect edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. The 2021 NHL Draft has finally come and gone, and it was one of the wilder days, full action-wise, in the NHL in quite some time when you factor in all the trades that happened beforehand. We're going to recap that today. We're also going to break down what we have seen at the World Junior Summer Showcase happening right now in Plymouth and start looking ahead to the next draft class. Uh, it's also the first episode we've actually been able to do live in person together. So first of all, Corey, uh, why don't you rate my dining room setup? Um, you know, it's about average to above average. <laughs> I appreciate that you're still sticking to the scouting scale there. Yes. No, that's uh, that's all good. We're we're excited here. I mean, it's been it's been fun times here. Corey has uh, barely slept, so we're gonna get him to say a whole bunch of bunch of wild stuff today. Uh, if all goes well, and and we'll start that out on on the twenty twenty one draft class, Corey. What surprised you? Um, so I, the draft was interesting because obviously this was a unique draft class in terms of how much live viewings there were, how many of the international events and major showcase events were canceled. Um, we had no OHL season whatsoever, and I thought I think the common thought going into the draft was. There's all this uncertainty surrounding this draft. Things are going to get really crazy. and But frankly, when you kind of go through the, the first round, the second round, even into the third round, I didn't see a whole lot of crazy in there, to be, be quite honest. Not to say that there weren't some picks that were interesting or, or sparked debate, but but no more than I thought than a typical draft class where, where that happens every year. Uh, I, I thought the first two rounds, actually, most of the names we thought would go there went there. Now, there are a couple that, that were interesting. Uh, the first one would have been Ottawa's pick at 10th overall, Tyler Boucher right. from the NTDP. Uh, so Boucher is an interesting one because he, he didn't play much this season. And not due to COVID reasons, he was injured several times. Uh, I remember getting like a couple of text messages from scouts in the beginning of the season. Uh, we didn't know when the NTDP season was going to start, but but when it did start, right. they went to go play some NAHL teams. Uh, I think there were some Division three college teams thrown in there, and you started hearing from teams like, "Oh, you know, this Tyler Boucher guy is looking really good. Like he's this you know, this big, strong." crushing power forward he's showing a little bit of offense you're like oh that's intriguing and then a couple weeks into the season he gets injured he misses like a month or two afterwards and then i come back i went to go watch the ntvp play live at adrian college i want to say it was either in december or january it was his boucher's first game back from his first injury uh first shift of the game he comes out absolutely crushes a guy you're like oh yeah that that's what i've been hearing so much about like that's there's here's this big power forward uh second shift of the game he goes out and tries to hit a guy hard again too their their legs get tied up um he has to crawl off the ice he's in crutches the next day um, and that's kind of a lot of how his season went and then he came back from that second injury and he i didn't think he was quite as good as as in those first few weeks and and that's kind of the profile you have on him as well as what you had from him in his underage season. And I do like Boucher. I think on top of the the elite physicality, I think he's got pretty good puck skills. Um, 
skating is where I wonder with him for the for the NHL. I could buy NHL average. My projection is slightly below NHL average. That's kind of you know I respect what Ottawa's trying to do there. I didn't see personally enough attributes to get him into that spot of the draft. Even though I think he is a unique player who does, uh, you know, who who the way he plays is not easy to find in an NHL draft. Um, but yeah, so like I do like Tyler. I I just don't know. Like I I, I felt this was them shooting for their Tom Wilson, their Milan, their prime Milan Lucic and. And I just don't know if realistically you expect. I think Boucher will be a full time NHL player. I could see third line wing. I think in the absolute best case, I could see second line wing. But I don't know if you're going to get uh, the big offense from him. Yeah, he's interesting because he did only play what I think it was twelve to fourteen games this whole year. I think he's about a point per game player over that span at the, at the which program, is, which is good. But which is good. Yeah, but not 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 amazing, but good. Yeah. And so if you think back in, in especially the team that drafted him, Ottawa, they, they go and they pick Brady Kachuk. And, and we're not necessarily seeing a Brady Kachuk ceiling here. Right. Yeah. Brady was a much better offensive player in the NTDP as an underage there. Yeah. He was uh, BU in his draft year already. Yeah. BU in his draft year. Went to the World Juniors. One of the best players there. Completely different kind of uh, uh, profile. Was I do like Boucher. I think he could be on this year's World Junior team. I think he could be, you know, a good, a useful to a good NHL player. Uh, but I just like Brady has, on top of the elite physicality, he has great hockey sense. He has great skill. You watch him with, with Ottawa; he makes all kinds of plays. Um, and I just don't know if Boucher does that. So that's where my concern is. That I, I just, I feel like if you wanted a hard element in a forward. He may not play exactly the way Boucher does, but I thought Cole Sillinger would have made the most sense. Maybe even Brennan Othman to an extent, but definitely Cole Sillinger would have made a lot of sense. I so, so that one was a surprise to me for sure. We've been watching Boucher at the showcase here this week, and we'll get into more of this later. I, I've seen him make a couple of nice passes, and but, but one of the questions you mentioned that you know do they are they going for their Tom Wilson here? He's a very physical player. He's also six one. Yeah, like can you beat Tom Wilson in the NHL at six one? Right, and I, you know, and Tom Wilson came up through junior hockey. Right, you know, Boucher is going to come up through college Can't hockey. Can't fight, right? Yeah, yeah. and so um, it'll be interesting. I said I, I respect a lot of what of what he brings. I, I think he's a unique player. I just uh, the the upper half of the line, the type of guy, the guy who plays, you know, you know, provides a really large impact for an NHL team. I just I like him. I just don't know if that's a realistic projection. And, and uh, but but like I, said, I do think he could be uh, he could help Ottawa. Um, I just don't know if he'll be the 10th best player in the draft. How good does he have to be, not to the point that he'll be the 10th best player in the draft, but to the point that five years from now, Senators fans look back on that and they go, that's fine. If he became like a true like second line winger. 40 to 45 point. Yeah, let's say like a 20-20 guy. Yeah. Like, and I think that's I think that's the, really the best case scenario, to be quite honest, just my opinion. And But I think that's one where where you now, where you Maybe they felt that was a piece of the puzzle they were missing, and you plug him into with Stutzla and Kunchak and, and and Sanderson and Josh Norris and Alex Formanton Batherson. and Batherson and Eric Brandstrom and and all those guys, and then I I think you can swallow a little bit, a little bit more, but that obviously depends on what happens after them. You know, 
if Cole Sillinger becomes a you know a first line forward, a Sebastian Coaster, Jesper Wallstep become you know true you know great NHL goaltenders, uh, that will that will sting a little bit more. But to be fair, once those top nine skaters were off the board, uh, the consensus varied wildly. That's why for months we were talking about Ottawa pick uh, being rather pivotal because we really didn't know where the draft was going to go after nine. Well, part of the part of that pivot had to do with the two goalies. And yeah. we thought if Ottawa doesn't take one, there's a good chance at least one of them starts to fall down the board a little bit. As it turned out, both of them start to fall down and, the board. And part, and part of that is because Chicago also Yes, they traded it out. That's yeah. right. So, so they trade out to, to Columbus with, with – we'll talk about Columbus's draft. Actually, let's just do that right now. Um, getting to Columbus, they trade Seth Jones in the hours leading up to the draft. They get a haul in return, and that haul includes swapping the Tampa Bay 32nd pick, which they already owned, dating back to the David Savard trade, uh, up to 12. That puts them in position after Ottawa passes on Sillinger and, and after they had picked on Kent Johnson earlier – or picked Kent Johnson earlier in the draft – they come out of that top 12 with two really top, potential top six forwards there, Johnson and Sillinger. Right. Depending who you talk to, they both could be top six centers. Uh, like I said, some scouts may think Johnson might be a center or not. Some scouts might think Sillinger's a center or not. But right now, they're both centers, or at least listed as centers. And I'm sure Columbus will do their very best to, make sh- to at least try to see if they would work in the NHL yep. as centers. Now, like I said, Ken Johnson is ahead of Cole Sillinger. Not surprisingly, he went ahead, and just for me, he's a he's a notably better player. But now you you that was a huge part of their depth chart that had a hole. And now it'll take some a couple of years, but you can now start to envision a future where Ken Johnson is your first line center, yeah. and Cole Sillinger is your is your second line center. And will those two? Be able to fill that role on a on a you know a contending caliber team. You know, time will tell. Maybe maybe not. But they're really promising prospects, and that was a huge organizational need that that Columbus had going into the draft that was addressed. And they also had a need on defense after trading Seth Jones, and even before trading Seth Jones, they didn't really have many young defensemen in their system. And I think Corson Kuhlman's uh, the Wisconsin commit. Has a lot of NHL assets and didn't really play much this season in the AJ. He'll probably be a two or three year college guy. Uh, but he's also, I think, you know, that getting those three players adds a lot of talent to a farm system that frankly didn't really have much talent coming into the weekend. And that doesn't mean their rebuild is over. There's a lot more work to do there in Columbus. Uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen, say, with Zach Rowenski in the, in the next couple of years, for example. Uh, but but this weekend, uh, that's past weekend, mind you, was a really important step forward for that organization that's been taking its lumps in recent years. Well, you know, they adding in course and Coleman's like, that's another, you know, he's not replacing Seth Jones who they traded away, but he is a player who on upside alone, like you got a chance to really get a player there in terms of a big mobile defenseman who at, at some levels shows kind of offensive inclinations and at, at other levels looks like a, a, a solid defensive minded player. You, you have the package for a complete defenseman there that they get at 25 I don't know where Sillinger, if Sillinger factored into that top 10 on pure upside that you did in our last episode. I don't think he did. He didn't, know. But he wouldn't have been too far outside of it. No, he wouldn't. And Kuhlman's is definitely a, in the 20s. Like I definitely can understand why some teams would have been hesitant to do in the teams. But yeah. in the 20s, it made a lot of sense. And I think those three players, and some of their day two guys I like too, but those three players are, that was an exciting combination to get. 
uh, really quick, you mentioned the possibility of, of Johnson and Sillinger as, as both centers in the top six. I also like him as complementary players, potentially, in terms of if, if you wanted to play him on one line, maybe Sillinger in the middle and Johnson on the wing. You know, Sillinger can kind of be that retrieval guy and go into the corners and do some of those things that maybe you don't see Johnson do as much. Sure. He's a shooter. Johnson can be a playmaker for him. I like the complementary fit of those two potentially too. Right. But just looking at their organizational depth chart right now, I would imagine they would rather just have Sillinger plug that 2C hole in five Mm -hmm. years from now. Um, Just looking at the young players, uh, like Liam Foodie, Kirill Marchenko, uh, their, their wingers. I do like Voronkov a lot. He's a guy who was a mid-round pick, played for Russia's World Championship team. He's a guy I can envision as a third-line center in the National Hockey League. Second line might be a little bit on the high side, but he's a he's a promising player for them. And uh, like I said it's it's starting to see a little bit of it coming together in terms of how their organization could look good again in a couple of years, but. There's still a lot more work left there to be done, I think. Yeah. All right. We teased the goalies. Now let's get back into that now. By by the 14th pick, both of them were still on the board where, where Buffalo took Isaac Rosen. Um, that put Dallas on the clock at 15, and Detroit ultimately is the team that trades up. They give up 23, a second rounder, and a fifth rounder to go up, and they take Sebastian Kosa. You had thought there was a pretty good chance coming into the draft that Kosa um, could be the first goalie picked. And that's where Detroit went. They 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 took the the swing on on the WHL kid with an unbelievable statistical uh, season this past year and more size, maybe a little bit more athleticism. Is this the higher upside pick ultimately with with the goalie that Detroit made? Yeah, I mean, I've I never thought there was a separation between the two of them. I sure. I, I I had Kosa rated personally ahead of Wallstead, but I never I thought it was always a bit of a fifty fifty call. It, depending on what you valued in terms of the, the pure tools, the track record, um, if you valued hockey sense more, there's you could have gone in either way with them. But I think if you want to ask me, you know, who has the most pure like talent yeah. between the two of them, it would be Kosa, just because it's, as we've discussed before, it's so easy to look at the 6'6 goaltender who moves in the net the way he does and envision a future where he is an upper echelon goaltender in the National Hockey League. Doesn't mean he will. Just like a lot of the guys in this draft, you know, Kosa hasn't really played a full season in, in quite some time. He's played parts of seasons. He got almost every start for the Oil Kings this season, but it was, you know, a very abbreviated WHL season. So I think there's still some questions to be answered. How is he going to do over a full WHL season? He'll probably be Canada starting goaltender at the World Juniors. How does he how does he do there? And then obviously when he when he turns pro. But uh, like I said, I, I can understand why some may not be 100% sold on him, but I just think there's just so much talent there that, you know, I respect the bet. I respect why Detroit did it. And, you know, not only to address a clear organizational need, but um, once you got to that point in the draft around the 15th slot, I didn't think there was another better pure athlete on the board there than Kosa. So I understand why they felt the need to get aggressive, even if it's for a position and goaltender that has some risk. Yeah, I mean, it, when you move into the second goalie, then next with Wallstead, we thought twenty kind of seemed like a like a true floor in this draft for goalies, and we thought that because Edmonton was picking there. Ultimately, twenty is where Wallstead goes, but it happens because Minnesota trades up to Edmonton's spot to to pick Jesper Wallstead. Yeah, and and Minnesota is an organization, um, as we mentioned on the last episode of the podcast, they're an organization I've had, I've all we've talked about. For the last three years, in terms of training a goalie, you know, they were an organization that was speculated with with Spencer Knight. 
they were an organization that was speculated with Yaroslav Askarov. And then this year, despite, you know, it seemed really unlikely they would end up with a goaltender, they do end up with one of the two premium goalie prospects in, in Jesper Wallstead because like Detroit, they get aggressive. And I think we've, you know, going into this draft, that was kind of the thought that given just how big a separation there was between Wallstead and Coase and the next best goalie, I think the next goalie was Ben Goudreau. He went in the third round, I believe. Uh, that if you really wanted one of these, you you were going to have to, you know, make a move to, to go get one because you're, there wasn't that, that next obvious guy to add to your farm system in this class. And so I respect why Minnesota did that. And they're, you know, we'll see what happens with the organization in the next five years. They're kind of stuck in a little bit of a, mi- of a middle area where you're not sure if they're are they a rebuilding team or are they a contending team. But it looks, at least in terms of their young players, you now have a decent group of forwards, a decent group of defensemen, and and now a goaltender of the future where you could kind of see some promise coming out of this farm system right now. For what it took to get up to 20, or I guess what it took for Edmonton to move back to 22, were you surprised that they didn't just grab Walsh? Like, they get a third-round pick out of this. Like, are you surprised they didn't just take him themselves? They're, and and this is the reason why Wallstead, who I think a lot of people expected to go top yeah. 10, top 12. There was a re- the reason why he went there in 20 is I that was one of the ones in the days and the weeks leading to the draft. You started hearing from teams getting cold feet about this guy. They didn't like how his season ended. We, we've talked before about how... One guy had the amazing first half. One guy had the amazing second half. And in Kosa, in, in the latter example, teams were scared off by by how his how his season ended. Um, you know, reports came out. You know that you know his his fitness wasn't great. He was up at like two fifteen, two hundred and twenty pounds. Uh, and given that he's not you know the most quick athlete already, because his his game is pure fundamentals in hockey sense, I think that scared teams off a little bit. But the, and you probably could find some teams that had him top fifteen, top twelve on their board at all. It only takes one. Like yeah. I'm not meaning to say that there weren't a lot of scouts who lo- absolutely loved this player because there were. But but that didn't shock me that a team like say Edmonton didn't want to do it because I think there were plenty of organizations going into the draft that had just concluded they just didn't want to go down that path with with Wallstead. Yeah. We talked about uh, one of the surprise picks earlier on with, with Tyler Boucher. Earlier in the second, Riker Evans from Seattle, another one. Not a player I was particularly familiar with. What what should I know about Riker Evans? More importantly, what should the people of Seattle know about Riker, Riker Evans? Uh, Evans uh, was a second-year eligible prospect in late 2001 who uh, was the best defenseman in his uh, WHL division in their in their abbreviated uh, season with, with Regina. Uh he was a guy who personally, when I watched, I wasn't enamored. I saw a 5'11 defenseman with good hockey sense. He was competitive. Uh, I just thought he was kind of vanilla. He was a point in game this year, but I didn't really see like standout speed and skill when I watched him personally. But he's another guy when started making calls after the draft was over. Some scouts agreed with me. They didn't, they didn't really buy him. But I talked to some. There were definitely more than one team, obviously including Seattle, um, but other teams as well that I, that I would talk to would be like, no, like this guy is an elite skater. We thought he was one of the highest rated skaters in the draft. And like that was a differentiator for him. The skating has really popped over the last couple of years with him. And, and that makes him an exciting prospect. Time will tell, you know, he's because he's a late one. Chances are he's going to sign rather soon. He might play in the American League right away uh, for Seattle. Um so maybe they have something there, maybe they don't, but we'll probably find out, you know, 
quicker than other prospects, given that he'll probably play pro right away. And we'll get to see, kind of get a gauge of, you know, how close does he look to being an NHL caliber player? Uh, but yeah, that was one more interesting one. Like Josh Doan is re-entry uh, in the top 40. That didn't surprise me. He's a guy we've heard a lot about coming up into the draft. One of the best players in the USHL this season. Uh, whether you agree with it or not, it's a reasonable debate, but that one didn't surprise me. The Evans one, uh, I had watched him this season, I and I just didn't I didn't see that one coming, but that's part of the fun of the draft. And then the most surprising moment of probably the entire draft weekend comes right at the end of night one. That's when Montreal selects Logan Mayu. He actually had asked a few days before the draft that no one draft him. So I didn't even realize at the time that they call his name that this was an eligible pick. Um, obviously, Mayu was convicted uh, in a Swedish court for taking a photo of a woman performing a sex act without her consent and circulating it uh, among some teammates. And so just to hear his name called at the end of the first round uh, was surprising to me. Was it surprising to the NHL community as a whole? I don't really think anybody really knew what was, what was going to happen. Uh, you had heard like rumors that teams were still looking at it despite that, the, the facts that you just pointed out. Because unlike, say, the MLB draft or the NFL draft, you can't declare for the NHL draft and you can't undeclare for the NHL draft. The CBA does not kind of have those stipulations. All The, the eligibility is based purely on age. Uh, so I didn't know, honestly, going in what was going to happen. It was really uncertain. Uh, you know, we, we had to be prepared for the instance that, that he was and, and, that, and that he wasn't um, because it's just, it was such a unique uh, situation and you know we're not going to go too much into the into the facts of of what happened with him in Sweden and we you know Katie and I have reported it and you all can go read it and and arrive at your own opinions. He wasn't on my draft list just because you know that was my opinion that if I was running a team I, I probably wouldn't have done it. Um, but he is an NHL prospect now and we'll treat him as an NHL prospect now going forward. And and just frankly from what when I watched him. Uh, the previous season and this season, I didn't really see a, a player that I thought was worth the first round investment. Uh, he's played one OHL game his entire life. Other than that, he played in like a junior B league in Ontario. He played a hockey Enton, a third division pro league in Sweden. And he's intriguing athlete. Six, you know, he's six three, six four, whatever he is. Uh, right shot D with really good hands. He's a big shot. He's physical. Thought the skating was a bit of an issue personally when I watched him. Um, the question is going to be whether whether he has enough, you know, pure playmaking ability and offense to translate to higher levels, which you don't know because he's only played one OHL game. He played like five, six minutes in that game and for London two seasons ago. He's definitely a pro, pro prospect, but uh, I, I even just taking a, aside what happened with him in Sweden, I wouldn't have probably been inclined to make that bet. But time will tell on a variety of things with this case, uh, uh, you know, because you know the hockey side aside, obviously it's it's a it's a case that has uh, resonated with the public in a, in a really unique way. All right, uh, let's get into now the World Junior Summer Showcase. It started well, really started the day of the second day of the draft in Plymouth with with Sweden and Finland's teams there. It's stretched into this week. That's why you are uh, in in Detroit here this week. What what has stood out to you so far? Where I think we're three game days in, really, that, that you've been here for? Yeah, uh, I mean, this camp is a little different because uh, typically Canada would come in for the second half of this tournament, which they won't. They're having a joint camp with their U18 team uh, in Alberta right now. 
And we would usually have USA make cuts around now, which they're not going to do to maintain four team, four competitive teams in this tournament. So you're really just getting a deeper understanding of USA's uh, player pool here. Some guys that probably would have been cut today, you're now getting to see a couple more games of. And the disappointing thing is for Sweden is three of their top prospects, William Eklund, Simon Edvinson, and Jesper Wallstedt, um, all didn't participate in this camp. It would have been nice to see them. I'm sure for Detroit fans, they would particularly love like, to have seen Edvinson uh, come to this thing. But Finland has most of their top group, uh, so it's been interesting to see how some of those guys have fared. And uh, for some of the for the USA players, the USHL players particularly, uh, it's been interesting to see how they've been able to perform at this level. Or even like a guy who's played high school most of the season, a guy like Scott Morrow, who's been able to step in and I think been uh, surprisingly good considering I thought real expectations would have to have been rather modest for him given that he hasn't really played much high level hockey before. To me, that some of the guys that have stood out so far on, on, the, on the American team, uh, a couple of, of the kids that uh, Mackie Samuskevich was drafted to Florida late in the first round. Uh, you have on the, on the Finnish team, Atu Ratu, who at one point was a, was a really high pick uh, projected in this draft. He ends up going at number 52. Uh, anybody from this draft class in particular who's who's really popped? Yeah, I think Ratu would be the, one of the obvious ones there that that you would have to say, you know, he, in at least in terms of, I don't think he's like surprised me in terms of in terms of how he's played, but but his draft season was just so bad, and it wasn't just the games that you watched in Liga. You're like, oh, he's not getting it done right now versus men. You go to watch his like his junior games too from this season. And just was looked rather ordinary at that level. Good, but you weren't just blown away by this guy. Like, oh, he's a no doubt like first round pick or something along those lines. So he, he teased you with flashes, but overall, it wasn't a really inspiring season. So it's you know it's it's just a really interesting development to see him come here and and be the guy that you saw two three years ago. Uh, skating still doesn't look great, and that was a primary concern among NHL teams. But he is showing his skill. He is showing his playmaking and his scoring ability, and he is showing a strong compete level. Where I think when you're watching Ratu right now, it's it, it inspires some confidence at the very least that there is there there is more to this player than what we watched last season. Doesn't mean he's all the way back. Doesn't mean all the concerns are gone. We need to see how he's going to do in Liga next season as well and see if he, he really can bring his stock back. But this has definitely been an inspiring week uh, from him. Like I, said, I mentioned Scott Moore before. The fence still isn't the best, but when you have a 6-2 defenseman who can skate, has this kind of skill, he's making plays, and that's a... That's a uh, you know that's a very interesting player and, and a guy who's, who's looked rather exciting here. Uh, I've liked Matt Nice too. I think he's done. He's done well here. The his, Toronto pick, yes, yep. sec, second round pick. He's uh, this is his second time at this camp. He was here last last uh, year too, and hasn't blown you away. But he's you know he's been really involved in the in the offense. He's scoring. He's competing well. Uh, I would say that's been a that's been a strong point for me. At least and from the guys from this draft, those are like the immediate ones that would come to my mind. Uh, other guys are showing you flashes, like Lucius, Coronado have had flashes, Bros has had flashes. I wouldn't say all of them have been consistently uh, good in terms of being like, true standout players. Tyler Boucher has had some flashes too. Um, 
uh, the but you know this camp is usually a camp for the older players, and so it's no surprise that you watch a guy like Thomas Bordalo, who was excellent in college this season, and a guy like Jake Sanderson, who was part of the gold medal winning team the previous year, uh, be among the top players at this camp. I, I, you know, they were expected to, and and they and they've delivered. You know, they've probably been arguably. It's been between Ratu and Bordalo for the best four here, and you, I would say Sanderson's been clearly the best defenseman here. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, especially on, on the Sanderson port. I, I think he's been the best player for me um, through, through the tournament so far, although I agree Bordalo's been very good. And and, uh, and Ratu certainly, I think, has looked very impactful. What I always struggle with when watching, especially the younger players at this camp, is we're, we're used to watching these guys, especially in their draft year, for, for most of them, some of them have played pro, especially the Europeans, but they've been at a level where they can really dominate. And it can be hard to to assess immediately, like, okay, this team, Tyler Boucher, for example, team that took him 10th overall. What should what should a reasonable expectation be for the kind of impact he makes at this U20 showcase level? If you're a 10th overall pick, and you know, let's let's presume Tyler Boucher is the 10th best player in in the draft. If you're the 10th best player, in the draft at this kind of camp, you're not expected to be the best player, but you're expected to look like you belong. Uh, you're you're helping your team on a rather consistent basis. You may not be standing out every single night because you know Boucher will have another year to do that. He'll be back the season after that. But guys who go in that range are expected to basically be helpful players, good players on a consistent basis. If, if you're a true high echelon prospect, that is. Like you look at like Luke Hughes here, and he hasn't been the best player every night, doesn't he had some he's made some mistakes on the ice, but you you notice him. Like yeah. he, you know, with his skating and his skill, like he, he jumps out at you and I think that's a realistic expectation for a high pick. Another thing that we are getting a little bit of a look at at this summer showcase is a couple of the players who we think could factor in pretty high a year from now in the NHL draft. And you know, as as you know, you, I think you had the article out one day after the the twenty twenty one draft ends. Twenty twenty two draft cycle, really, it's already begun by the time the twenty twenty draft is taking place, but it's in full swing already. One day after that draft ends, yep. a couple of the guys at this tournament, Logan Cooley and Brad Lambert, we think both of those have top 10 potential in this coming draft. You you put the article. I'll, I'll just kind of turn the floor over you here. What's the shape of the 2022 draft right now? Right. And not just those two. We have Canada's U18 camps already going yep. on. Uh, as, as we speak, uh, the Czech uh, had, team had a U20 camp not too long ago. David Juracek, top prospect, was, was a part of that camp. And, of course, the Klinka Gretzky uh, starts in a couple of days after this podcast will publish, which will feature many of the top prospects for the 2022 and 23 drafts um, at that tournament. So, yes, we're turning the page rather quickly. No surprise that, that the number one prospect for, for next year's draft is Shane Wright. Anybody who watched the U18 Worldsers paid vague attention to junior hockey will have known this name as a guy who... Uh, if your team needs a a foundational number one center, he's no guarantee to become that, but he's got a pretty good shot. And that that's a player that a lot of teams would do a lot of stupid things for. Um, so even though you only have a 25% chance, is it 20 or 5 or 20% chance? I think it's, it's one, it's one of those two. Uh, I, I think there might be some misaligned incentives going into this year's uh, draft, depending on how the regular season goes. 
give yourself the best chance to get that kind of prospect. And then after that, I would say it gets a little bit more wide open. I don't think there is a defined next group of players after right. I'm sure some will argue for Brad Lambert, like you just mentioned, or Matthew Savoy, who played in Dubuque and will play in the WHL this season. But I'm not convinced that they've separated themselves. Maybe three years or two, three years ago they were, but but time has passed and the situation has changed. And I would say most scouts I talk to right now around the league have Iron, Ivan Miroshnichenko as the second best prospect in this draft, who was absolutely outstanding at the U18 World Championships for Russia. And we'd also mention Danila Yurov right at the top of the draft, another Russian uh, who played the U18 World's late birthday to play in Magnitogorsk uh, next season. Uh, I really like Yurichek, I just mentioned. I really like both of the, the two top Slovaks who played at the World Championships the season before they were draft eligible. It was, that was just a wild thing to see. Unique World Championships, mind you, not always the best players and there. That's Simon Nemec and Yuris Lakovsky. Yes. Yeah. You know, they played there as you know, a 16 year old. That's, you know, a really unique thing to happen for, you know, even a semi major nation. And then you have Logan Cooley, uh, who you just mentioned, who I, who I think will definitely be in the mix of it. And there's some others there too, but. Uh, but Cooley, between him and Lambert, Cooley's, I thought, been the most impressive of the two here at the World Junior Summer Showcase. Uh, he's a really well-rounded forward, I think. Five foot ten, but I think he's got everything else. He's a great skater. He's really a skilled playmaker. He's highly competitive. Uh, I think he's got a real shot to make the final World Junior team. Will he? Will he not? We'll, we'll see how his season go and other people's seasons go. But given that he's such a well-rounded two-way guy... I definitely see a spot there in the bottom part of the lineup that he he could crack, and and Brad Lambert will be on Finland's team. Just he was on it last year, although no guarantees. Atu Ratu was on that's right their team two years ago and didn't make it this past season, so he's got to earn it. Um, but he realistically, I would say, while last year's World Junior really lacked a draft element, yeah, I would bet this year's one will. I would imagine right. Lambert, uh, Miros Nachenko, Yurov, Yurichek, Slavkovsky, Nemich. Uh, I imagine they'll all be at the World Juniors this year. Reputationally, 2022 draft uh, has gotten a lot of fanfare. And, and years ahead, I mean, we, we, we know the, how this goes. The best player in the draft two years from now is always the best player, right? Um, this class, like you mentioned, there has kind of been reputationally a triumvirate of... of uh, right, Lambert Savoy. Um, it had, so it sounds like that's shifted a little bit. Reputationally, how does the 2022 draft as a whole compare to 2021 coming in here? Like, for example, like we talk about Logan Cooley. Matthew Beneers made the U.S. World Junior Team last year. How does Logan Cooley at this time compare to Matthew Beneers a year ago? Probably a little bit below him, but not dramatically below yeah. him. I think when I talk to scouts around the league, there's a little bit more excitement for the top of this year's draft. With the, with the major caveat that a lot changes in the period of a year, a lot could change from now to next June, provided we actually now have a somewhat normal full season in all the major leagues. Uh, you know, a lot of new information can come in. I don't even know who the best Ontario players are other than Shane Wright. That's a, that's a mystery that needs to be solved, to be quite honest. So that's going to be something we're going to need to see play out over the next, uh, you know, over the next season. Uh, I didn't. I sent my list around to a bunch of scouts. I didn't get much pushback for having Miroslavchenko at two. I didn't get much pushback for having uh, Lambert at four or Savoy 
at seven. I think Savoy was really good in the USHL this season for Dubuque. I didn't get a sense from a lot of people who went to go watch him. They came away just raving that this guy is, you know, the next like Patrick Kane or something, something like that. I think he's considered like a really good player. Probably closer to like a Cole Perfetti, Lucas Raymond, like high, high skill IQ type player who was undersized and not an amazing skater for, for that size. So that's a great prospect to have. But I never got the sense that like there's like these three like, you know, future, no doubt all stars. I think there's one. And then there's, I would call this a rather large pool of really, really good players. A larger pool than the one we just had. Yeah. Uh, go a year ahead. But uh, we'll see how the next year plays out, obviously. But uh, And a lot of them are listed as centers, like Lambert and Savoy are listed as centers. Lambert's been on the wing at the, at the showcase here. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing. Will they be centers or not? The one guy that I, we didn't mention would be Connor Geeky. I really, yeah. like, I really like Connor Geeky. He was really good when I watched him in the WHL this season. So he's a guy I think that could be a center in the NHL. I think Cooley could be a center in the NHL. And the rest, you know, we'll see. But this definitely looks like a much more forward-heavy uh, class a year in advance anyways. All right. Uh, now let's get into the mailbag. And obviously we do have some uh, some team-specific questions uh, that, that we'll get into more here. Teams want to, Everyone wants to know about their, their new top prospect. This one, I think, though, is kind of broadly applicable because it, it, Thomas J.S., I know goalies take time to develop. But with a highly touted prospect like Wallstead, what's your prediction on his timeline to the NHL? I think we could lump Kosa right into the same kind of conversation. Are, are they different? No, I would say they're probably – Given how similar I would say they are in terms of talent, I would I would say you're looking at two to three years. I would say you look at you know Spencer Knight for example. He played in the NHL this season. That was I thought the best case scenario was it took two years, and it looks like he'll get an opportunity there to play next season. So you're talking about basically three years, year three, yeah. th- year three since the draft. Uh, Vasilevsky. Played two extra years in the KHL, then he played a year in the American League, and then and then he was up. John Gibson played two extra junior seasons, then an American League season, and then he was up. So those would be the most recent uh, premium goalie prospects. Maybe you can go to Robert Lehner's year it was kind of the same thing, I believe uh, that we that we can think of of premium goalie prospects taking about three years. And now Kosa and Walsett are both late birth dates. Maybe then in the best case scenario, you're looking at two extra years. Kosa doing one year of, of more year junior than a year in the American League. Walsett doing another year, um, whether it's in Sweden or possibly in Canada. And and then maybe an extra year in the American League before, before he was ready. But I think that'd be realistic. Nam Danan wants your thoughts on the month Bill Armstrong and the Arizona Coyotes had. He says it feels like the Coyotes' uh, accumulation of futures assets in such a short period of time is unprecedented. If it fails, what will be the reason? If it succeeds, what will be the reason? We can just kind of talk broadly about the Coyotes weekend, though, because I think right now, as things stand, we just talked about the 2022 draft. I believe they have two firsts and five seconds right now going into that draft, and we're still a year away from it. Yeah, I think what that tells me is they, the new management group came in, they assessed their roster, they assessed them farm, they assessed their farm system, and they concluded we can't probably be a contender out of this group. And they probably got the blessing from their from their ownership that, you know, we need to bring in more future assets. It doesn't mean that Clayton Keller and Jacob Chikrin and Barrett Hayden and, and Victor Soderstrom and some of the other pieces there are not really good players. I know Hayden didn't have the best season, but I personally believe he'll be better next season. I still think he's going to be a good NHL player in time. I think Keller and Chikrin are, are, are really good players. 
Um, but it's fair to say they came in and concluded we need more. And with this, we need a better foundation here to build around. And that's going to take time. As anybody who's been part of a rebuilding organization knows, and Coyotes fans are in the same spot, it's going to take time. But that seems to be the direction they're heading in right now. When you look at a team that has this many picks, I mean, what's the best, what's the smartest way for Arizona to go about this? Should they try and package these to get kind of like like what Columbus ended up with, with a, with a couple of picks uh, or three three picks in the first round and, and hope you get the right things to fall? Should they take five dart throws in a second? I mean, it's hard to speculate. I, I tend to think markets are rather efficient. Yeah. And, and, I, and obviously the thing we always think about when it comes to rebuilding teams is you need the star. You need the star number one center, the number one defenseman. You need the really hard pieces to get, uh, but it's not easy to get them. You know that's Shane Wright, and Shane Wright will be gone the first pick into next year. Which draft. they could get, by the way. They they could, unlikely, but 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 they could. Uh, but you know, at, at that point, the draft becomes just calculated bets, and whether you'll have a better chance at ten than you will at thirty, but you will have maybe the same odds if you have take if you have shots at 25, 30 and 50. Yeah. Uh so as you would if you just had one at 10. So that, the math I think tends to be rather efficient. Um you just as they do you, you just accumulate the assets and you do your best to try and get the best players and and frankly the draft a lot of praying to be quite honest, you know. Yeah. You you do we we all do a lot of work on these kids and we try to really understand them and Try our best to project them, but at the end of the day, you can dra- you can draft a guy who looks terrible, and all of a sudden he looks great two years later, or, or vice versa. Uh, so, but that seems to be the direction they're heading is just trying to get as many future assets as possible to build a better foundation there. From a team that is just getting into the thick of a rebuild to a team that may be starting to kind of crawl out of it, Craig wants to know: Do the Devils have enough talent amassed to be Stanley Cup contenders within the first four years of Dougie Hamilton's? brand new contract that he just signed at the start of free agency. He says, assuming trades are free agent signings for some top six forwards, which feels like a pretty big caveat here. Yeah, because, I mean, just realistically looking at this team without any external additions, with Dougie, Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, Alex Holtz, Dawson Mercer, Shaquille Bacama Doolin. Um, I think I'm not sure, if I, not sure if I mentioned Ty Smith or not. You have Nolan Foote there too. It's a good foundation. I would be pressed to say that looks like a Stanley Cup contender, at least until we see the next steps from Luke or Nico. Maybe he sure never becomes a true high echelon player. I still think he has a lot of talent. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against him to becoming a really, really good player, at least production-wise. Uh, until, and I believe a lot in Jack Hughes. I think he is going to be a star caliber player. But until he does that, uh, and that's only one star, and now you have two, arguably with Dougie, uh, it's hard to see contender. Can this become a better team, a playoff team, maybe even a good team? You're starting to see the pieces. I, I would probably stop short of calling this core group, even with external additions of, let's say, a second line forward, a second pair defenseman here or there, um, a, a Stanley Cup contending group just quite yet. Let's dig in on a couple of the pieces that are on the wings right now just to, to feel for what they have come. Because what I like about New Jersey 
is that they have used their high picks to get the really hard pieces. They've got two top six centers. Even people who are a little lower on Heischer, I think, would, would agree he, he can be a pretty good second-line center. They've now used a top five pick on Luke Hughes. They have Ty Smith, who they've developed. They've brought in Dougie Hamilton. They've traded for Ryan Graves. I like the center and D look of, of their makeup for the next few years. Can Black would be the guy, though? That's a good question. It's, it's a fair question. I don't know the answer. Yeah, he's I, still young. I, I like him. I'm not like – if you told me he became a top 10 goalie in the league, I'd be surprised. surprised right? Yeah, like I, I do think he's a he can be a helpful NHL goalie, but uh, that's one where I think there's still a bit of a question. Not that he's not a good player, but uh, that's a question for me. Uh, Holt didn't have the best season. But we I still th- like him as a top I, six wing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He's yeah. a he's a really good player. I really like Dawson Mercer too. Top and six caliber. He, yeah, I think he can be. And because they have Jack and Nico there, the question with Mercer is going to be: Is he going to be your third line center? Yeah. Which would be a great third line center, I think. Or do you push him onto the wing uh, to to give him more opportunities to score? Like I said, there's I think there is a foundation here to be a good team. To be a playoff team, I think there are better days ahead for New Jersey. Uh, I just contenders are really high bar. Like you, you go watch the Stanley Cup Finals this year. You will, you go through Tampa's roster. You, you can kind of like check off the boxes of what you think right. you might have in the absolute best case scenario. And they had a lot of pieces. Now I think Tampa's roster was constructed in a in a world where absolutely everything went right for them. Yeah. Almost like. You know, they get the most valuable uh, player in each draft. They have like three or four years running. They get a bunch of uh, undrafted guys who become really good players. A lot of things went really right for them. And not every Stanley Cup contender looks like that. Yeah. Um, but I still think the path, there's a little bit more still for New Jersey to bring in before they're at that level. Real quick on, on New Jersey, Igor Sharangovich, Jesper Bratt, Pavel Zaka. How many true top six forwards on a contender do you see out of those three? Probably like maybe Brett, maybe, but maybe zero, maybe zero. Like I, Zaka had a better year this year, which was inspiring. I thought I like sharing a leading score. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I haven't probably dug into him as much, but he's a good player. I can buy Brett. I can buy Zaka. I like Sharon Govich. He's not a like, but in that caliber, he's, like I would want him. If you're, if you're a contender, he's a bottom six guy for you. I imagine. So if you're New Jersey, you want to still go get that top end goal, and I was probably harsh on Zaka. Like you could, yeah. After the season he had, he probably should have been discussed right there with Broad, if not ahead of him. But yeah. yeah. So you're still looking for that top end goal. You probably want a first line caliber winger. If you're going to go out and you're going to say I'm, I'm bringing in a a now first line winger, that could be a really big piece that they need to add. Still, yeah. I mean, like I said, just there isn't yet the guys you have on this team who you are like, these guys I know are upper echelon NHL players. Yep. There's a lot of hope still, but we don't have a lot of certainty yeah. yet. Uh, Peter K. This is a good one. I, I, I think this is because to me in, in baseball, you always talk about what's a number one pitcher. What's an ace, blah, blah, blah. Peter, Peter wants to know what's your definition of a number one center. seems like every year half the league is looking for a true number one when really everyone has someone playing on their first line. Right, and I think uh, you have these debates with with hockey people of you have certain types of centers who you'll say, I think he could be a top 30 center in the league. He may not be the number one center on a contender. Uh, You know, we had this discussion, say, with Matthew Beneers. I don't think there were a lot of NHL teams telling me 
I think Beneers is going to be a top 10 center in the National Hockey League. Uh, that So they, you would often hear, oh, he's number two on a contender. But you also hear people say, like, but you could also say in the same vein then that Matthew Beneers is a, is a first-line center. Um, but I think when you hear about number one centers, you're talking about guys who pretty much have it all. You're talking about players who have just their, their attributes just rise to such a level that they are among the best forwards in the league. You're talking about guys who are like look like Kirby Doc. They're six, you know, they're six three, six four, can skate, have great skill, or even if they don't have the the big skating uh, or or uh, Size variables. They have unreal skill in playmaking, like a Nicholas Backstrom, for example. Uh, those are the guys you're talking about, like real guys who's just their their attributes just rise to such a level that it's clear they're a driving force in the NHL. And I realize kind of what you said. You know, there are theoretically 32 number one centers, just like in baseball, there are theoretically 32 number one pitchers. Uh, but and and you don't always need to have you know a true number one center to be a contender i think vegas is a fantastic team and i don't think william carlson i would call him a true number one center or chandler stevenson same deal yeah or you know whoever we would call the first line center on their team um montreal is nick suzuki a true number one no yeah yeah like i think he could be kind of what i just said there i think he could top out as like a lower half of the league, kinda, yeah. league, well, maybe not playing the same way as Beniers, but, but that, like that's similar level, like like the twenty fifth to fortieth, like best center in the league or something like that. Like that's kind of what you think you're hoping for out of him. But yeah, no, I think no guarantee. It's not a prerequisite, but it's a highly correlated over the years that you that that true top 10, 15 center in the league tends to correlate rather strongly with success. Yeah. All right, uh, Scott asks, is, it wants to pull us right back into the 2022 conversation. I mm-hmm. love that. He wants to know, so in a year that, uh, he wants to know who you think will be the top draft year plus one prospect in the 2022 draft. He also says, and how will Chicago still get him? But I think it's a really good question because the answer might be a lot of guys. There might be a ton of guys who uh, pop. Yeah, I think any scout you would ask that question to, the answer it's going to be is, I don't know who it is, but it's going to be somebody in Ontario. There's just going to be some guy that none of us have ever heard of before that's going to step into the OHL next season and have like a point and a half per game and be a leading player in that league. And I could not even begin to discuss who that could be right now. We have, we have some guesses. Maybe some of the guys who went undrafted from the Erie Showcase. Maybe it's like Tucker Robertson or something like that or or somebody along those lines who has a lot of skill but didn't actually get drafted. Um but it's really hard to say. I think the OHL is going to be really fascinating to watch next season. How high can a, a, a kind of re-entry prospect reasonably expect to get in this draft? Like, I want to say Chinakov was a re-entry prospect. Yes. He, he goes 21. Uh-huh. What, what would be like, the, like, let's say a guy goes out and has like a Jack Quinn kind of year, but he's one year older. What's the highest he could reasonably expect to go? Oh, wow. Like, that would be... That'd be so fun. Like, I mean, that would, that would, to have like that kind of discussion, like, cause there could be more than one of them. Yeah. There could be like, you could be looking at a scenario where you got like two or three of those guys that we don't really, that, where it's Jack Quinn or it's, or it's guy like a, has like a Tyson Forrester year, yeah. or never mind if there's another country like the United States or something like that, or, or in, or in Europe. Keep in mind, you know, 
most of Sweden's junior league didn't get to play this season. Right. You know, there's that's a variable in there. Uh, that could be a variable that we're that we're looking at going next year's draft, but it's it's you can't it's unpredictable. So it's hard for me to say, you know, how high that can be or the caliber of the players. I don't even know who these players are yet. Right. <laughs> All right. Uh, last one's from Jared Brown. I think it's an interesting one. He kind of wants to know, you know, teams have their own list, and sure. so we see the NHL Central scouting list come out. How do teams use the Central scouting list? It, it, do they use the Central scouting list? Central scouting has a lot of different utilities for teams. Uh, I think the the actual lists, um, you know, so they'll send them um, lists that don't always get published early in the year. Like, for example, they would have been sent by now at a list for 2022 saying, like, here are some of the top guys. It provides them with, you know, just a, a list of names that they would already have had. Their guys' work is to do underage work as well to flag underagers that are interesting. But it's an extra set of eyes on that to help get their year started. Their early season list, their mid-season list tend to be looked at by teams and tend to stir discussions and and debates a little bit on are we too high or are we too low on guys. Uh, typically by the end of the season, I would say the utility for teams has run out. By then, teams have typically have their, their lists pretty set and they're not really relying on central scouting for guidance on players by then. That's probably more for the public at that stage, the midseason, and particularly the end-of-season list is more of a media thing, a public information uh, vehicle. The central scouting also has other utilities throughout the season. They're often sending schedule changes, injury uh, updates to teams. Uh, they're you know any kind of anything that they would need to know in regards to major events. They're they're usually flagging for them. Uh, they also are in charge of getting official heights and weights. They're in charge of running the NHL combine. Uh, so there's a bunch of utilities for NHL Central Scouting, aside from the actual list-making process, uh, which is still important for them. That's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Please also follow the Athletic Hockey Show on your favorite podcast platform and leave a rating and a review if you're enjoying it. That really helps us out. Annual subscriptions to The Athletic are just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Go do that right now. There's not going to be a better time. We'll talk to you soon.